everyone. Dave Cathy, the Food Dude, here with another Community Table podcast from the 405 Diningscape. The coronavirus numbers are going the wrong way, and the weather has gotten frightful, and businesses all over are suffering. These are simple, unavoidable facts. Are we hopeless? No. We try and adapt accordingly. Local restaurants have adapted to outdoor dining in a big way, and that's the subject we discussed with Robert and Lori Black of Cafe of Oak, Andrea Gotro of The Red Rooster, and Chef Ryan Parrott of Humankind Hospitality recently. So grab a snack and some suds as we gather to talk about taking the streets on this episode of Community Table. As winter month seven of the coronavirus pandemic, the 405 Diningscape continues to chug along in fits and starts. Restaurants that don't have a drive through window or well-established delivery protocols are most likely scrambling for answers even now. Streeteries supplied at least one answer. These street parking spaces converted into outdoor dining began popping up in major markets in late spring. Cities with mild climates found success through the summer, which is when the city of Oklahoma City launched its own streetery program. Since the offer was made in June, only three local restaurants have signed up because of Oklahoma City's notoriously hot summers and its famous urban sprawl, which makes city parking spaces few and far between outside of downtown. But in September, the city of Edmond decided to give streeteries a try themselves. Turned out to be a boon for its historic downtown shopping district. Cafe of Oak has been one of its greatest success stories. But back in March, owners Lori Dickinson Black and Robert Black were on their way for a well-earned vacation when everything changed. I mean, ironically enough, we were looking forward to taking our first trip since buying Cafe of Oak. It was yeah. spring break. And I was reading about, I was telling him about this virus that I was reading about. And on Monday, we left for our spring break trip, hearing about the virus by Tuesday. And basically on the way down, we're talking to staff. We got, we were just going to Broken Bow, but we basically turned around and came back the, the, next, next, morning. To, the next morning to start making plans to close the shop because wow. A, we didn't know really what we were dealing with and it was sounding, you know, bad and B as much cleaning supplies and everything that you had, we really, and, and as clean, I mean, as clean as a restaurant has to be mm-hmm. and with staffing, even Robert said like, we're not prepared for this. And A, we weren't prepared for it with our staff sure. you know, first and foremost. And, and then B getting past that with just our customers and, once back home, the Blacks searched for answers. I think we were getting a lot of feedback from staff at that point. Yeah. They were, as the younger generation does, they were getting information up to the minute via Twitter and, you know, Instagram and Snapchat. And, and by the time we get back, we've got these young staff members who are telling us what they've already seen as responses from other coffee shops or other businesses. And... At the time, everybody was throwing something against the wall because we weren't really sure what was going on. Everybody's hair was on fire. But (laughs) that information was coming out so fast through viral social media that we were getting a lot of our information from our staff. Here's what we're reading. Here's what we're hearing. Have you thought about getting rid of doing China and doing to-go plates only? Have you thought about this? You know, that early phase, it was a a maelstrom of of ideas coming from the internet at the time. Uh, and, and it was trying to decipher, okay, how real is this versus is this another 
H1N1 that's going to be right. gone by next week? Or is this right. the real deal? Or is this apocalypse? I mean, <laughs> everybody went through all of those crazy scenarios and nobody had the answers. So we did the same thing everybody did, which is do the best you can and try to make the right decisions. And the tough part about that is what part is a social responsibility as a business owner versus what is a government mandated regulation? And sometimes those two things coexist and sometimes they don't. But eventually, Cafe Evoke went dark. We started by our immediate response was to go to takeout only. Okay. On our drive back from Broken Bow, we said tomorrow morning, we're, we're doing takeout only, right? I mean, that was our first response. We did that for about 10 days, maybe two weeks. No, we did that less than, I, I remember by Sunday. Maybe a week. Every day, every day got worse and worse. Mm-hmm. And then we just agreed by, by Sunday or Saturday, whatever the end of that week was, that we were just going to shut down. And we initially thought, because the schools were also, they were on spring break. So schools were talking about extending till like, for two weeks. Mm-hmm. So we thought that gives us a good time. We can shut down for two weeks. We can get a better idea of what this looks like. So I think we initially thought we'll shut down for two weeks um, mm-hmm. and we'd pair staff and that sort of thing. But then, you know, it just kept getting worse and worse and staff were being, or schools were being pushed back. The kids were home. We weren't going out. Couldn't I find mean, any groceries. There was yeah. no toilet paper oh, yeah. we had. Really which, rough at the early part, yeah. Which made everybody else go, holy crap, like... <laughs> Literally. Go, go build a... Really, yeah. Go, <laughs> go build a bunker, right? So, <laughs> so, yeah, we closed. We ended up staying closed for six Jeez. weeks, but the, the only reason we did that, the only reason we were able to do that is because we were one of the very first participants on the PPP program. Mm-hmm. We were, with our banker the the second client to get approved in the bank that we use. I mean, we were we were pretty early on recognizing that as something that we thought would help give us that cushion. Yeah. Which it did. It allowed us to be closed for six weeks. And pay our staff. And pay our staff. Pay our and for them to figure out what they were going to do with unemployment or what they wanted to do socially. And it that gave us time to work with our vendors and some of them were proactive and saying, listen, don't pay me this month. I get it. Some of them were like, suck it up, buttercup and everywhere. (laughs) Yeah. You know, that forced Lori and Robert to get creative. It also caused us to have to figure out what other ways can we reshape the business to bring in revenue streams, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, everybody knows or has heard um, all the discussion about uh, delivery, third-party delivery services and the pros and cons of those. But uh, as an example of ways to create that kind of revenue stream that wasn't there before, we didn't have um, we didn't have online ordering before the pandemic, right. and now we do, and a lot right. of people use it. Yeah, and uh, you know, so, but that's just an example of what we've had to do. All of us, all business owners, and, and really all humans, but all businesses have had to go. How can we do this different? Yep, the days of carnival barking are over. That's right. Yeah. So it's a what, different so, way. Yeah. So now you got to figure out, okay, well, so what do we do now? You got to rethink the wheel a little bit. And, uh, you know, you've seen operators get creative with creating their own delivery platform okay. or, mm-hmm. um, doing a better job of making feel 
customers feel safe that the food has not been tampered with or, you know, there's all, all kinds of things businesses are doing to try to figure out how to rethink how to do business and how to get customers what they want in a safe manner that feels responsible, but also helps us, you know, get, get sales and pay our staff. They found a way to help Cafe of Oak break even thanks to the payroll protection program, but the Blacks also own Springboard Consulting, which assists restaurants and nonprofits. Business vanished almost overnight for that venture, so Lori and Robert leaned into Cafe Evoke. Our primary business is consulting. Lori's background is nonprofit, education, arts, and my background is uh, operations for restaurants. And so, uh-huh. um, so that's what we've been doing. And Cafe Evoke was really um, meant to be complementary to that primary business, and it and it has been. But once the pandemic hit. Anybody who was paying for a consultant in my line of work said, time out, yep. pause. Or my line of work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah, and you guys, yeah. you guys have both been doing what you're doing long enough to completely understand that, too. Yeah. And not, yep. to, not to waste time thinking, oh, well, how can we figure out how to get these people to continue to do this? Right. Like, yeah. no, we got to go. We got to move on. Yeah, and so, so we're fortunate. We're fortunate in that this – um, happy coincidence, as my good friend Bob Ross always says, is that we had this coffee shop to really lean into and, and help and um, not just keep going, but also help keep us afloat for a little while while we're, yeah. our consulting business was on pause. And um, Lori got to learn how to become a certified barista. She's fantastic at making coffee. And the guy who put up his chef coat years ago is <laughs> is uh, making sandwiches in the kitchen again. So, yeah. uh, and it's been it, that's been fun and enjoyable, um, unexpected and not part of the plan, but still fun and enjoyable. Although I have to say, at forty five years young, it's not as easy as it used to be. <laughs> yeah, and my feet are not happy. When the streetery program was launched in Edmond, the Blacks opted to give it a try. That was, you know, that really kind of came out of left field and was, um, it's a little scary at first just because mm-hmm. you know, we're counting every dime and penny and at, at the point we reopened too, Robert, if you were in there, Robert or I were usually working. Right. I mean, we were right. covering most of the shifts because of the labor costs. So when the city came by, I guess it was Randy and a couple of those guys and they asked us what we thought, um, you know, initially everything that we've been doing since we reopened in May was brand new. It seemed like every week some process was changing or some idea was changing or how we were changing our business. So it seemed just like uh, another step to take that we thought, okay, well, it's going to take a long time, at least four weeks to get furniture and how much is furniture is going to cost? Cause there's a shortage across the country because the East and West coast and other areas were already doing their streeteries um, to stay open. And, you know, what does the return on the investment look like? So the city basically had told us uh, they had these restrictions. David Hornbeek, it was really great that, you know, David Hornbeek is our um, our landlord, but also the architect upstairs. And he had already talked with Pete Holloway. And so they had a plan basically together. David showed us and he advocated for us with the city. And since Robert's handy, he <laughs> built our, um, our flower boxes and basically the uh, – the boundary you had to have so people yeah, the wouldn't barrier, walk out yeah. the street, the barrier. We were able to find some nice blue umbrellas. And, you know, as we talked about, it's the first thing we said, if nothing else, it's 
really better than street signage to say, yeah. well, hey, there's a coffee shop here. And, and we thought that would be positive. Um, it was a tough call, though. We were on the fence for a yeah. long time there going. For the cost. And we're going to have to spend three grand on minimum, even if we're doing things sure. ourselves and buying cheap stuff from Amazon. It's still going to be three grand to build yeah. this thing. And there's this uncertainty of, well, how long is the city going to do it for? And will people use it? And what's the return on that investment? And we, we had that conversation several times where we, we could have gone either way pretty close. <laughs> well, the nice thing about a small sample size like uh, the pandemic uh, gives us is you have immediate results. You mm-hmm. now have an immediate return. So tell us, you know, this, this has been a success, hasn't it? Oh, uh, like I, I'd say, you know, the fact that people were recognizing shop local. So we were experiencing that before the streetery that was really nice. The people that were intentionally coming in because they wanted to support local. But when you add the streetery on top of that and the fact that we we did it, we didn't have the barricade. So it looked like it was there and permanent. The response was phenomenal. I mean, the first week, it was just phenomenal. And, but it's also what's really been sweet is to see people um, be excited about being out and be yeah. excited about businesses. And, you know, so many people are restricted from not getting on airplanes and not traveling and not going far. Uh, more people were coming up to, from Oklahoma City since we had the mask ordinances. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got this safety feeling of safety and now you've got outside and they're like, this is so cool. It's like we're vacationing and, Europe or you know the east and west coast but we're in Edmond and it's brought us a lot of new customers yeah um it's brought us a lot of people that didn't know we were there so there's that ancillary effect she was talking about of just visibility and they're driving by and they're like oh bringing awareness but from a financial side it replaced a lot of the seats that we've taken out because we we took out 40 percent of the seating inside the dining room to make room in between tables that's still gone we're still operating at 60 or 65 percent seating capacity inside compared to pre-COVID. So adding these five tables with, you know, three chairs is 15 seats. You know, it, it almost got us back to par. Back to par is pretty amazing under these circumstances. And that's what restaurants around the market are seeking right now. Oklahoma City might only have three operating streeteries, but there's no shortage of outdoor dining options. In the Paseo District alone, there are at least a dozen places one can find a patio seat. Among them is the Red Rooster, which has turned its sidewalk into a makeshift dining room. We expanded the patio. We have eight tables now, uh, 10 on the weekends. Uh, That seats about 40 people, where inside here, we're so tiny, we only seat about 60. So have a full patio for even a couple hours. It's really great. Um, But so to help with the lack of staff we have and the lack of contact, because there's still a lot of people that do not feel comfortable, which is totally understandable. Yeah, yeah. That's the, what <laughs> totally we're talking about. This is we actually need people to be really careful. Yes. We yeah. don't need everybody coming to the dining room. We need right, right. just as many as you can actually fit, which is not yeah. a full house. So it's not like we're here saying, oh, yeah, everybody come out. Right, but right. Everybody make a plan. <laughs> exactly. So, so our plan was uh, – and this was also based off of, I sat with my staff and asked, like, how comfortable do you guys feel waiting on people again? You know, I, they've been with me literally since the, the, the first day that we did training back in February the year before. So that was really important 
for them to feel comfortable. So we built um, a website that has a QR code that's on the table that, that people are doing in like Dallas and Denver and, you know, high tech type places. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I know like S&B, I think is doing that here now too. Yeah. But yeah, so you, you sit down, it's explained on a big chalkboard, um, low contact patio, have a seat, order from your phone, we'll bring it out to you, we'll be around, but we're not going to be doing this like right. one, you know, kind of makes everybody feel uncomfortable situation, which is yeah. the saddest thing because that's why we're in the hospitality industry that's to begin with. What the word hospitality means, yeah, yeah. right, right. Yeah. So this way we're at least getting to see some of our really loyal customers and they're coming back out and they're, they're really have been supportive. I mean, this has only been two weeks now that we've been doing this patio. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been so hot and we've still yeah. had people out because people are either just, you know, missing that experience, but also a lot of them have been just incredibly supportive of us. While these outdoor dining arrangements might feel like a savior, the weather reminded us it won't be ignored in Oklahoma. Our local dining industry is fighting for survival and will continue to do so for the foreseeable future. That begs an important rhetorical question Chef Ryan Parrott of Humankind Hospitality and his partners are constantly trying to answer. How can we say stay relevant mm-hmm. and, you know, provide something great for our guests? Because, you know, it's the other thing. People are going to remember how you act in this. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so we, you know, we want to stay professional and, and keep, keep everybody safe. But on the same side, it's like, how do we keep ourselves sustainable to make it through this? And it's like you said, we're just going to tread water, you know, as long as we possibly can until we can look at going, okay, now we can generate yeah. and add sales. I mean, of course we want to add sales, but we just got to keep, we got to keep our heads above water right now. Yeah. Finances are a measure of a business's re- Finances are a measure of a business's relevance, but not the only one. In fact, many stay relevant even after they're gone. That's why metrics for relevance can be hard to quantify. You know, really, Evoke has become, uh, it feels much more personal now. It feels sure. the, the efficiency of how it works, the friendliness of customers. I mean, most of the customers, you know, feel like friends. I would say 60 or 70%, you know, we know when they've had a baby or when somebody's sick mm-hmm. or somebody's gone on hospice or, you know, they come in on Tuesdays and Saturdays. Oh, they didn't come in. Where are they? Did something right. happen to them? And were they sick? Oh, no, they were on that's vacation. A, that's a know? really good point. I mean, there's there's something that's um, really special about being connected to your business that way, where it's not just something you're doing from an office, from a desk, but it's, you know, it's why we all ultimately got into this business in the first place. It's that hospitality experience of being able to uh, visit with the customers, be close mm-hmm. with the staff, have that connection. And uh, so that's definitely a, a pleasant, unexpected side of this too, is we're both, we're both back in it again. And uh, yeah. I think anybody that's in this business or has been in this business would say, yeah, I get that. And if they're far away from that, they probably got a little closer to it too. The pandemic has stressed relations between guests and operators at times. Mixed signals from election-weary politicians have inflamed the situation to the point some folks have forgotten that just because hospitality is the restaurant stock and trade, it doesn't mean grace is dead. I asked Ryan Parrott if there's one thing diners could do to help employees on the front lines. Here's what he said. I think it's stop and realize that, we are, that we're humans, you know, and just because I, I, think it, I think that gets lost sometimes, you know, from, from a diner, particularly because you're, 
and I, and I hate to say entitled, but but we all are. So we're kind of entitled. We walk into a restaurant, and we kind of expect certain things because yeah. it's what restaurants do. They provide. Yeah, we market it. It's marketed that way. Yeah. And we don't want to say no, right? So, right. but I think it's I think it's like slow down and and listen and read and see what these folks are doing and understand that we're putting ourselves on the front lines. We're, our staff is out there on the front lines, and essentially, you know, they're not healthcare workers, but they are dealing with a lot of folks every day, and you know, put a mask on, be respectful, slow down for a second, realize that it's not going to be the exact same way that you've eaten out for your whole life because things are different. Look, all of us are new to pandemics, but the human condition stares us back in the mirror every morning. Just remember, you're not alone in this. It requires training and attention to detail to serve an espresso that properly balances bitter and sweet. At Cafe Evoking, be a challenge when demand is high and patience is short. But when the balance is off, no one cares why. So focus has to be second nature. That comes with experience. Lori Dickinson and Robert Black met in 2015 at a time when both of their lives were thrown completely out of balance by tragedy. Lori was coping with the loss of her husband, Michael, and Robert, the loss of his wife, Jamie. Both to cancer. The grief that's enveloping our entire country and all of its communities right now is familiar to them. They've endured it. Once grief has entered your life, I mean, it's, there's not like you go to A, B, C, D, E, and right. ooh, you know, everything's better. I mean, grief is all better now. Yeah. yeah. It's a part of your life forever. And, um, you know, you go through those cycles at different times. And in addition, this time that we've been living through has been a huge trigger um, for for that grief and that loss, not just for us, but I mean, for our kids and, you know, fearful for grandparents and uh, for other loved ones and, and what that means. But I mean, we were just talking, we've been talking a lot over the last couple of days. And, you know, one of the things I've always hoped was that the pain wouldn't be wasted, right. you know, that something good, something honorable and memorable and loving uh, comes out of that. And so, I mean, that's what we have found in our relationship um, is that something did grow out of the ashes. Something did, you know, bloom again and grow again. It's different. You know, it's not like it was before uh, and, it, and it won't be and that's okay. But to bring something good out of it. And, and I mean, so that's, that's what you look for. I mean, that's kind of. That's really well said. I think another thing that we talk about and we've, we've always talked about since we've been together is this concept of bittersweet. Yeah. Right. Um, that I never really understood until after the tragedy that we went through a few years ago, um, really in its full context. I mean, I get the concept of bitter and sweet and their opposites, but there was a blog post that we had read that really framed that in a way. It was a book I was reading. yeah, Yeah. That, that, really brought home, you know, imagine this, it's like, uh, what if it were heaven on earth and everything was great and there was no tragedy and there was no death and there was no pain and there was no sorry. And there was just happiness all the time. Right. If that's all, you know, is happiness or sweetness, sweetness, right. It no longer has the same meaning because you don't have the pain to compare it to, right? How do you celebrate? How do you celebrate life when you don't know loss. what loss looks like and feels like? And 
It doesn't mean we should be thankful for loss. It's okay to be sad and, and be grieved and, and learn and grow from that. But, but what I'm learning is it also helps us appreciate for sure. the good, the life, the connectedness, yep. the family. It inspires. I think you're right. I think it inspires and incentivizes the drive towards joy because you just want to get away from the thing that, that, that did the thing. But you're right. If you didn't have that, what you're talking about is sweet and all that would just be boredom. Uh, yeah. your teeth, you know, that's like yeah. if you had to sweet all the time. It just, and the bitter, and bitter is a compliment. I mean, that's what we, you know, you talk about, I, I think we were actually at a craft cocktail place and we, had, I had read this. We were in Dallas. We were in Dallas. And I think it was our actual kind of first date. Hibiscus. Hibiscus, yeah. We were the bar at Hibiscus talking about And this. I had been reading this book to him as he was driving about this lady talking about bitter and sweet. And it was just kind of funny. He was explaining to me the, from a chef's standpoint. Right, sure. You know, yeah. the, the purpose of here's the sweet, but here's the importance of bitters and why, you know, if you have the bitters. It was bitters, the old-fashioned. It was the we old-fashioned. We were talking <laughs> yeah. about the, con- the concept of the old-fashioned. It's the bitters and the... The, the sugar and, and yep. the, the complement. And then all of a sudden, it was just like, oh. Yeah. Balance is the key to good old-fashioned, a good cup of coffee, and pretty much everything else this life will throw at you. Lucky for Lori and Robert, they found solidarity and strength in each other and have made a life together on that principle. We could all learn a little something from them. Thanks to Lori and Robert Black of Cafe Evoke for joining me at the table. And thanks to Ryan Parrott of Picasso's Cafe, Frida Southwest, and Oso, and Andrea Gotro of the Red Rooster and Holy Rollers for their contributions for today's Feast of Insight into Life in the 405 Dinescape in the time of the coronavirus. Till we gather again, stay safe, wear a mask, and be good to each other. <laughs>